Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Mistress Mia's Dungeon. I'm your hostess, Mistress Mia, and this is Mistress Mia's Bedtime Stories. The story is from Literarotica.com. It is written by Christopher D.B., and it's called Escape from Dominatrix Island. On a lower level of the citadel, there was a long stone corridor along an outside wall. Large windows on one side overlooked a terraced garden where other men worked. Beyond the garden's low wall, the rocky landscape tumbled down over tall cliffs into the sea. My task for the morning was to sweep the corridor and mop it later. While the men outside were permitted to wear loose-fitting ragged clothes, I was only given a flimsy pair of sandals and some thong underwear made of a rough cloth that would sometimes chafe my scrotum. The air was cool on my exposed skin, so I worked a bit more slowly when I swept in front of the windows, savoring the warmth rays of the sun. Two young female guards were loitering near the end of the passage, smoking cigarettes and talking in a language I didn't understand. The island was ruled by women, and I'd been tormented by these sadistic guards before. Sometimes they could be avoided, but now I had no choice but to keep working my way towards them. They wore black knee-high leather boots, and their high heels echoed off the stone walls when they periodically walked over to an open window and casually flicked their cigarette ash outside. The men in the garden below worked even more slowly, though they didn't appear to be supervised at all. Perhaps they were too weak to escape. I'd mostly been fed a very thin, gruel type of meal since I arrived perhaps a few weeks ago. I was losing track of the days and becoming weaker, probably malnourished. One of the guards began to slap the face of a small leather paddle against the open palm of her hand. As I got closer, the other gave a low, menacing laugh and periodically flicked her riding crop through the air with a whooshing sound. In addition to their thigh-high-heeled boots, they wore snug-fitting shorts and long-sleeved jackets, both made of black leather. They wore their blonde hair pulled back. The taller one's hair was in a ponytail, and the shorter one, her hair was pulled back in a thick knot. The woman with the ponytail also had two silver stripes on the sleeve of her jacket, which I thought might be an indication of rank. At least she seemed to be the leader of this pair. Continuing the menacing slap of her paddle against her hand, her sidekick or assistant just laughed. When I reached the two guards, they dropped their cigarette butts to the floor and ground them under their pointed toes of their boots. After I dared to sweep their cigarette butts off to one side, the lead guard said something to me I didn't understand her language, which had a thick Eastern European tone. Then she thrust one of her boots forward. Kissy, kissy, she ordered. And then she couldn't help but laugh along with the other guard. Leaning my broom against the wall, I got down on my hands and knees and began to kiss her boots. This wasn't the first time. They had to pull me through this routine every time. When she was satisfied, I was presented with her other boot to smother with kisses. I could hear the second guard whooshing her riding crop through the air wearing only a thong. 
My buttocks was clearly exposed, and I was surprised she hadn't whipped me already. The two ladies had a brief conversation, and then the lead guard walked around behind me. She gave each cheek of my ass a firm swat with her paddle. Kissy, kissy, she ordered the second guard who now stood in front of me. The swats with the paddle continued, not so much painful as I did cry out, but they hurt, and it didn't seem as if they would ever stop. I tried to focus on the second guard's boots and some effort to take my mind off of the pain. The black leather of her boots was more scuffed than those worn by her leader, and the rubber tips on the heels were slightly mushroomed out with wear. I was relieved when the paddle stopped, but then the second guard walked around behind me. After they conversed and laughed for a while, the other guard began to whip my bare ass with her riding crop. I'm sure she could have whipped me harder, but after having been paddled, the pain was unbearable, and I groaned out loud, begging her to stop, even if she might not understand a word I was saying. The whipping stopped eventually, and the two ladies were talking softly and giggling. Then I felt one of them forcibly pulling down my thong. The spiked heel of one of her boots pressed painfully against my cheek of my ass, pushing me forward so that they could pull my thong down past my knees. Yanking it off and laughing, I looked up just in time to see the assistant guard throw my thong out in an open window. The head guard stooped and picked up one of their crushed cigarette butts from the pile of dust I'd been sweeping and menacingly held it in front of my face. Oop, arse, she snarled. I was confused, then had the realization she wanted me to put the cigarette butt up my ass. Her assistant's laugh echoed down loudly in the long stone corridor. Oop, arse, she commented once again. Then I meekly reached out and took the cigarette butt from her hand. Serena, Elena, a woman's voice suddenly called from the distant end of the corridor. There was an echo of high heels approaching slowly. Although I didn't understand what she had then told the two guards, I could tell she was angry with them. Lorinda was tall, mature, and her long blonde hair was always worn in elaborately woven braids. Anytime I had seen her, she was always wearing a form-fitting jumpsuit made of her silver metallic leather with matching silver high boots. On one sleeve were a number of wide black stripes topped with a crest, that looked like an outline of a bird. She was in charge here, and it was unusual that Lorinda would be walking around checking on her subordinates. The two guards slowly walked over to Lorinda as she continued to scold them. It seemed as if they didn't dare talk back to her. I just lay there on the floor, still holding the cold cigarette butt, not wanting to draw any attention to myself. To my surprise, the two guards followed Lorinda off down the passage, high heels clattering on the stone floors, fading into the distance and eventually round the corner at the far end. I finally thought I could breathe a sign of relief. Ah, might. Those birds are quite after you, aren't they? Called out a cheerful man's voice. I looked around, but I was the only one in the corridor. Who's there? I whispered cautiously. McConnell is the name. I'm down here. The lassies have me cleaning up the old drainage tunnels. <laughs> and I noticed the sound of his voice was coming from a metal grate in the floor not far away. You new here, eh? He asked. Yeah, I replied. I went overboard. Long story. 
ended up here. Lorinda says I'm her guest, but she has me working until she uh, said I can get me off of this island. <laughs> Whatever that means. I always got on well with Lorinda. But her getting you off the island's not a load of rubbish. Told me the same story a while back. How long have you been here? Uh, I've seen it snow here a few times. <laughs> well, now losing the slowly cheerful tone in his voice. I thought he meant he'd been here for several years. I was taking a long holiday, sailing in my cutter along the ocean. The plan was to bring at least one other bloke along with the passage, but he didn't show. I've single-handedly before. No big deal, mate, he explained. I'd been in quite a bit of weather for a few days, really took it out. And when the storm broke, I thought I'd be tied off by the tiller and go down below and catch a few drinks. I was running north of the shipping lane, so no traffic to worry about. Is this an uncharted island and you just ran aground here? Is that what happened? I asked, hating to cut off a story, but I suspected the guards would return soon. Oh, this island's on the charts, man. I was quite certain I would pass up to the south, but it seems like I navigate narrow. Not sure how long I've been in this berth, but before I woke up with my kneel smashing into something, I went up to the cockpit, saw the islands, didn't look like I was hard aground, and thought I'd have a go with trying to come out and maybe make it safe to the water. That's when I hit the bottom of a second time. Saw water coming in the caution way and knew there was no getting out easy. Was going forward on the deck of the life raft when me, my hole struck something else and pitched me over the rail. <laughs> Waves had me bumping up for a few rocks for a while, but it made us sure. Met the welcome of Kim Moody soon after that. I heard the sound of several pairs of high-heeled echoing down the corridor. They sounded like they were just around the corner. Listen, the guards are coming back. I have to go. Good day to you. Chin up, mate. The citadel may have been an old fort or castle. It was a maze of passageways and mostly empty rooms. From the end of the corridor where I had been, there was a room. It had a back exit, and I used that route to slip away from the guards quite often. Lorinda's suite was on one of the uppermost levels, outside her private chambers in a small office area. Stanamira stood by an open window, smoking a cigarette, looking out over the ocean. She was a short brunette and wore silver leather high-heeled boots with tall heels. Her leather shorts and jacket were colored in silver metallic, and there were four wide black stripes on one sleeve, topped with the familiar crest. Stanamira was clearly surprised to see me. When she saw that I was naked, she knew I had to come to see Lorinda, I felt embarrassed and ashamed. Wait here a moment, she told me in a perfect English accent, and then disappeared into Lorinda's chambers. Other times I'd come up here. I'd been kept waiting for a while. There was a heavy wooden bench alongside the wall, and I considered sitting down, but my buttocks was still painfully sore from the whipping and paddling, so I thought I'd be more comfortable standing. The outer office was sparsely furnished, and there was no telephone nor computer. In fact, there was only a single electric light fixture on one wall, with all wiring exposed. From what I had seen of the Citadel, it lacked modern technology. 
After I'd been standing around for a long time, considering sitting my sore ass on the bench, the door to Lorinda's private chambers opened. She will see you now, Admira said coldly. Just inside the door was Lorinda's office, which was a bit more lavishly furnished, and through an open doorway to one side appeared to be a comfortable apartment where she lived. Still wearing her silver jumpsuit and matching thigh-high boots, Lorinda stood in front of the desk, giving me a stare of disdain. Once again, you've had multiple problems with the lower gods. You must stand up for yourself, she said in a perfect English accent. Please, ma'am, I've told you that I have to try to resist them. They just rough me up even more, I tried to explain, even though I was sure I sounded pathetic. They're bored, and this is a game for them. You'll have to learn to play the game better. You've lost your clothing once again. You know there's a price to pay for that, don't you? I suppose the question was rhetorical, but I answered anyway. Yes, ma'am. Stand, Mira. We'll handle this. Do you understand me? You are dismissed. I turned and walked slowly to the outer office, trying to speak with Lorinda even further. Would be of no use. Stanmira wasted no time in opening a desk drawer and pulling out a large wooden paddle. The paddle was made of a light-colored wood, and the long, white face had three large holes drilled in it, like a modern version of the paddles that teachers had used in private schools decades ago. I knew the routine. I placed my hands on the desktop, my buttocks thrust upward. Stanmira was a cool professional, never scolding or laughing, and she took discipline seriously. The first swat of the paddle landed firmly across my ass, and I felt my feet go out under my toes. I didn't cry loud, but began breathing heavily. More heavy swats echoed loudly off the stone walls. I was certainly that Lorinda could hear me being paddled, but I kept my sobs of pain as quiet as I could. To my surprise, the paddling was over quicker than I expected. Perhaps she was showing some mercy, or <laughs> that was Lorinda's orders. I would never know. Stanmere walked around along her desk to put the paddle away, and then handed me another thong made of some rough, dry material again. Go back to work, she said, later as I was mopping the long corridor. Any time I had passed by one of the drains in the floor, I would tap the handle of my mop on the metal grating. There was no guards lording around, so I dared whisper down into the drains. Hey, McDonald, you still down there? I didn't get an answer. Then I had the idea to dump some of the water from the bucket down each one of the drains. Eventually, there was a tunnel of some kind under the floor where the other man had been working. He may hear the dripping of the water and feel as if it would be me, maybe. Clues that I might be in the corridor above. Say, old chap, good to hear from you again. He finally responded from the drain near one of the inner corridors. Listen, I don't know... When we might chat again, so let me fill you in. I got an idea about how to escape. Explained that months ago, he'd been doing some work on one of the highest levels of the Citadel. You know, this is a small chain of islands, mate. We're on the largest one. He went on to explain that it was low tide when he looked into the window at the next island, which was not far away. He noticed the tops of the rocks sticking up through the water and waves partially breaking, all in a line from the island to the next one. I suspect 
They're all connected underwater. Maybe a sandbar, maybe a reef. Can't know for sure, though he sounded optimistic. Then he explained that the time of the year was the neap tides, or dead low tides, or some people call them. At low tide, a land bridge connecting the islands below the surface of the water might be exposed for a short period of time. The island at the end of this chain has a lighthouse on it. This is the best time of year to make a go for the lighthouse. Low tide just after dark. So what? I asked. I'm sure the lighthouse is unmanned. Is that what you're telling me? Why don't you try to escape then? Huh. Sorry, I... I didn't mean to come across like a jerk. No worries, mate. Honest questions, to be sure. I assume the ladies are keeping you scantily clad, and maybe you feel a little loose and losing your strength. Yeah, I said I thought. I felt like it was an admission of guilt. It's the grub they serve around here. They're keeping you weak. It might be drugs. And then I, you know, it's only going to get worse. The time I realized there might be a route to escape, well, my body had just deteriorated so badly. The snails crawling around the tunnel down here, leaving me in the dust. <laughs> he said in a dry laugh. Then he explained about the lighthouse. There was a slim chance that an emergency distress signal transponder might be down there. If not, if I could somehow disable or cover the light beacon, a passing ship might report a malfunction and repair crew would be sent out. The dead low ties will only be around for a few days. If you got the stones to make a go for it, might be your only chance, he said solemnly. Don't worry about that. Tell me where they keep you here. We can leave together. I'll only slow you down, mate. You just send someone to rescue me, okay? I detected the first note of sadness in his voice. I assured him that I would, and I was thanking him when he interrupted me. You need some clothing for the weather and some kind of footwear for the rocks. Need to get all kitted up before anything. You might need to live in the rough for a few days until rescue team shows up. And he went on with suggestions and instructions on how to catch a rainwater for drinking and collecting sea creatures trapped in tidal pools for food. Gathering driftwood for a signal fire or using a scrap of metal as a mirror to signal any passing ships. It would probably be too much for me to remember, and suddenly we were interrupted by the sound of high-heeled boots echoing off the stone walls. I was back on my feet, mop in hand, when one of the Lorenda's elite guards walked around the corner at the far end of the passage. Their black leather boots were thigh-high, and their shorts were matching black leather. They wore jackets of the same silver leather as Stanmira's, but they didn't have the crest insignia above the rank stripes on their sleeves. I rarely had any trouble from women who wore silver leather. Perhaps she had a message for me. A change of work assignment, or better yet, news that I would be released and heading back home soon. Partway down the corridor, she stopped by a window. Sunlight gleaming brightly on her silver leather jacket. Opening the creaky window, she lit up a cigarette and leaned in against the sill. Relaxing and perhaps bored, I continued mopping. A while later, I heard the sound of high heels and women's voices in a room off to the side. Another back passage must lead to that room. It was the two guards from earlier, Serena and Elena. Lorinda had called them out earlier by name. 
As they came out of the room, I could tell by the tone of their voices that they were excited to see I was there, and one guard began to twirl her riding crop in her fingers as if she was a majorette. Then they noticed the other woman, wearing silver, further down the corridor. She was still leaning casually against the window sill, but gave the two other ladies a cold look. Now silent, the two guards walked slowly past me. I continued to swab the floor stones from the mop, attempting to ignore them, but as they approached, the echo of their high heels ramped up my anxiety. They stopped next to me. I gave a quick glance at the other guard down the corridor, and she was watching us, but was making no move to intervene. Teacher's pet. The guard was the two stripes on the black leather jacket with the disdain. She'd been smoking a cigarette. It was only halfway finished, but she flicked it into the mop bucket where it hissed. <laughs> the two guards walked off down the passageway, eventually disappearing around the corner. The afternoon wore on. I had nearly completely mopped the corridor. The elite guard had wandered off for a short while ago. But before long, I could put away the mop and the bucket and then retire to my room. Perhaps McGonnell was still down in the tunnel below, and I could try to get more information from him. That was when I heard the clicking of spike-heeled boots on the stone floor. From the far end of the corridor, Serena and Elena was approaching. They didn't speak, but cast casual glances into the empty rooms along one side of the passage. I assume they thought a member of Lorinda's elite guard was still close by. To my surprise, they walked past me without saying a word. However, once they had reached the opposite end of the corridor and saw nobody was around, they doubled back towards me. The senior ranking guard circled around behind me when I was preoccupied by an assistant, who was firmly tapping the end of her riding crop on my bare chest. Suddenly, the guard behind me pulled my thongs down to my knees. No, I shouted, and pulled up back into my place. I had no desire to face Lorinda twice in one day to report my thong had been taken. I was also hopeful that the elite guard had not wandered off. She might be able to hear my voice. Suddenly, the lead guard's leather paddle smacked loudly on one of my cheeks. Caught by surprise, I cried out in pain. She then suddenly pulled my thong down to my ankles. Her assistant firmly cracked me on the chest with her riding crop, and I indistinctively stepped backwards. I stumbled, my thong down at my feet, causing me to trip. Although I was able to break my fall... I then lay on my back on the wet stone floor. The lead guard firmly planted one of her boots on my chest and slowly ground in the spiked heel. I squirmed at the pain, which only made it worse. I reached for her foot and attempted to remove her boot from my chest, but then I heard her assistant say, No, 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 in a mocking voice, and felt the cool, smooth sole of her boot press against my scrotum. Afraid to move, I froze. Teacher's pet, said the lead guard in her heavy accent. Then the two women spoke in low voices. I couldn't understand a bit of their language, but I interpreted their words as threats. They pulled me to my feet and forced me into a dark chamber off the corridor. One of the guards switched on a dim overhead light. There were chains anchored to the wall with cuffs on the ends. They jammed my face, pressed up against the wall, and securely cuffed me into the metal cuffs. The lead guards began to spank me heavily with their paddle, and I panicked when I heard her assistant close the heavy wooden door. The second guard stood at my other side, 
the lead guard would smack one cheek of my ass with her paddle, while the second guard whipped my other butt cheek with her riding crop. I struggled against the chains and begged them to be released. Even if they didn't understand anything I was saying, the tone of my voice would have made my message very clear. All of a sudden, the door was flung open. I was relieved, saved by Lorendar, one of the elite guards. I looked over my shoulder and was terrified to see another guard dressed in black leather, a single silver stripe on one of her black sleeves. I figured that she'd come to join Sorena or Lorena's party, but she spoke to them with a sense of urgency. They wasted no time unshackling me and pushing me out into the corridor. The lowest-ranking guard, the one who had used the riding crop, picked my thong up off the floor and tossed it towards an open window before the three of them walked quickly down the corridor. Wiping my eyes on my forearm, as I walked to the window, I saw that, in a rare stroke of luck, my thong had gotten caught up on the window ledge instead of falling several stories into the garden below. It was cold and wet from having been on a freshly mopped floor. The elite guard that had been standing watch in the corridor walked around the corner and saw me pulling on my thong. She came over and inspected my buttocks, which I'm sure was bright red, possibly covered with bruises or welts, and shook her head in disappointment. Later, as I was returning to my quarters, Stan Mira was walking down the stairs. She told me that someone, honored guests, would be coming to an island in a few days. They'd be staying for a week, and during that time I would be confined to my quarters. There are important men with money. Staying here is like a fantasy camp for them, she said. Maybe one of them can take me off of the island, I suggested. These men are private. Lorenda may consider your release, but at this time, consider yourself lucky. That will be confined to headquarters. The other women will be entertaining our guests out in the dungeons and have no time to bother with you. My room was on the level below Lorenda's suite. It was sparsely furnished, but had a comfortable bed. There was an old-fashioned toilet behind a partition and a sink on the wall that had only a cold tap. A few other rooms, like mine, were a small corridor and shared an open shower stall at the end. At this time, I was the only one living in this private area. I suppose I was the teacher's pet after all. I was pleasantly surprised to see that a few gifts had been left for me on the small table in my room. A nearly empty bottle of cognac, a foreign bread I had never heard of. Cognac was the only word on the label that I could actually understand. There was also a thick cigar, the end freshly clipped, along with a disposable lighter, and a small metal ashtray. These may have been left for me by Lorinda. Consolation for the rough day I had. A large bowl of cold gruel was there. The evening meal, which I was really not interested in right away. After removing my uncomfortable thong, I took a blanket from the bed and wrapped it around my body like a robe or toga. A sip of cognac from the bottle went down smoothly, and I enjoyed the warmth of the strong alcohol as it went down my throat. Then I puffed in the cigar until it was properly lit. Before I was on the island, I worked for a powerful man, an underworld figure, I might say, and he ran a large operation that I won't elaborate on. There was a lot of corruption within his organization, opportunities for employees to run their own hustles on the side, or skim a bit of the profits. I was one of those who took advantage of my position, one of many, I might add. 
and I thought I went unnoticed, or at least accepted that within reason. I was with a group of employees that had been invited by my boss to go on a cruise on this yacht. There was plenty of good booze on board, as well as a number of pretty ladies that was available for all of my pleasures. An old friend was on board as well. For his own protection, I won't mention his name. But we had been friends since grade school, and fell in with that certain criminal operation at the same time. My friend was smart, but had no ambition when it came to getting promoted. As I moved up in the ranks over the years, we saw less and less of each other. I was thrilled to find out he was working as a crewman on the yacht. There would be plenty of time to catch up on things and laugh about the old times. To my surprise on that cruise, he was already preoccupied with his work, and we had almost no time to socialize. It was a few days into the voyage when we waved me goodbye, and I went to a private corner and gave some time to listen to the news. It seems that my employer was unhappy with me and the other guests on his yacht. The pleasure cruise was a trick to get us isolated with our guard let down. Our boss planned to kill those who had stolen from him or wronged him in many other ways. My friend wasn't sure if our bodies would be dumped at sea and some phony accident reported, but those details didn't matter. I thanked him for taking the risk to tell me the bad news. Though I tried to be stoic, inside I was panicked. The yacht had been out of sight for a long day. No escape seemed possible. I drank heavier and heavier than usual that night. I'd been having a pretty young Asian lady share my bed for most of the cruise. She didn't stir when I woke at about five in the morning and had to vomit. After washing up a bit in my cabin, I knew I was still too panicked to fall back to sleep. I pulled on some sweatpants and a bathrobe and restlessly wandered outside the decks. At the stern, there was a hot tub and plenty of seating. The area was vacant now, and I walked over behind the bar to grab a bottle. Any one of them would do, honestly. Suddenly, to one side of the yacht and off in the distance, I saw a bright yellow light. It flashed twice and there was a long pause before it flashed twice again, so the pattern repeated. A lighthouse. Far to one side of that beacon, I could barely make out some dim white lights. Houses, street lights. I didn't know, but it was dry land and not far away. Setting the bottle of liquor back on the bar, I quickly moved back to the very back of the boat. A jet ski was parked there on a launch ramp. During the day, younger men often rode it on before the yacht, jumping the wake to impress the ladies. It was too far to swim to the lighthouse, so I would use the jet ski to make my escape. This concludes the story for the day. Tune in next Friday for part two of Escape from Dominatrix Island. Thank you for listening. Until then, make all your fantasies become realities.